So, Father, thank you so much for this time now. Thank you for the book of Genesis. Thank you for how you've been speaking to us and uh, challenging us and encouraging us through your word. And we pray that you continue to do that now as we look a bit more at this extraordinary book. Amen. Amen. Right, so first of all, I had a question coming by email um, from... um, Somebody who can't be here, but so we'll start with that, and then uh, maybe it's a question that somebody here has as well. So here we go. Okay, slightly long question, but I think it makes sense. God promised very specific things to Abraham for his life on earth, child, physical protection, etc. Today, now that Jesus has died and been raised, and we live under the promise of salvation and eternal life for those who believe, does God promise specific things for us in our daily life as well, i.e. individual things that are different for each of us, and not just the universal promises of salvation, etc., that apply to everyone who believes? And if so, how do we know what they are? Because God doesn't talk to us like he did with Abraham, does he? And if not, why did he stop? Thanks. So, uh, good, very good question. And it's something that's been in the back of my mind a bit. Does, it, does the question make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, um, it is, it's very easy when you read the Bible to, to sort of think what we're supposed to do is imagine ourselves immediately into whoever the sort of main character in the story is. That you, That's meant to be me, and therefore what God is doing to that person is what he ought to be doing to me. And so... Yeah, very. If, if that's how you read, the, if that's how we read the Bible, then we will end up thinking, "Well, yeah, look, he made all these specific promises to Abraham, and I haven't heard God making promises to me like that. Uh, he hasn't told me to be the father of many nations. I don't think. So, um, what you know, what, what am I to do with that? So, um, it is a really good question. It gets right to the heart of what, what actually it means, to, what actually we're doing when we read the Bible, what the Bible is, what it's about. And actually, fundamentally, the Bible is not about me and it's not about you. It's about God and it's about his salvation plan in history. And yes, he does, he, in history, he has taken some very specific individuals and given them some very specific promises. But actually, most, for most human beings in history, including God's people in the Old Testament, the individual uh, member of God's people, he hasn't given an individual thing about my life or your life and his, that person's life and specific things that they individually can expect. Because actually, what, the way that God works is corporately. He works through families. He works with covenant heads. And so... Abraham is a covenant head of the, um, of the people of God. And so there are specific things that are true for him that then, in a more general way, become true for the people of God under him. So the people of God who, who descend from Abraham were called to be trusting in God's promises like Abraham was called to trust in his promises. But they weren't themselves called to father a child at the, end, at the age of 100 with a wife at the age of 90. And that, so, so it's, for most people in the Bible, yes, our experience of promise and fulfilment and trust is a much more general thing. 
but it's a bit like being married or the union thing. So, so God's people are kind of counted as one under Abraham as the head. We are counted as one with Christ. We are united with Christ. And therefore, specific promises that are made to him then sort of have an effect on us, but they aren't made to us. So it's the same in a sort of marriage situation. You know, something that affects the husband will affect the wife, but in an indirect way. And so it's the same with us. The, the, the fact that Jesus has died and risen from the dead, and he has been promised an inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth, that then becomes our inheritance when we trust in him. Um, but it's not that we have been called to suffer and die for the sins of the world, and that was what Jesus was called to do. We receive the benefits of that by trusting. So that's a very long way of saying, basically, the normal Christian life is not one of kind of discovering God's specific will about all kinds of details in our lives. The normal Christian life is living by faith, reading the Bible, seeing what the general promises about God's will are in the, in the Bible. What does, you know, 1 Thessalonians tells us it is God's will for you to be sanctified. So what should I do when I wake up tomorrow morning? How should I spend my day? I should spend my day trying to serve God and get to know him better. And I should do that the next day and the day after that as well. That is his desire for me. That's what I should be spending my time doing. There will be a, a kind of a sphere of things that I could be doing with my time. And I have, to use my, I have to use wisdom that God gives me to decide what I should be doing, um, rather than sort of fearing that I might have missed um, God's particular will for me that day. Have I done the wrong thing today? Well, if you've sinned, if you've done something against what the Bible says is what you should be doing, then you've done the wrong thing. But otherwise, well, you could have gone to the shops, you could have gone to work, you could have um, spent time with this person, you could have spent time with that person. Yeah, they're, they're kind of equally good things. Do the one that appears to be right to you, having prayed and trusted God and used all the wisdom he's given you, and then do the same tomorrow. Does that make sense? Okay, so other questions? I think, um, uh, speaking about righteousness, um, you know, that um, reference to Lot and two Peter, yes. uh, which is not really a passing reference. Lot's righteousness is quite emphasised, isn't it? It is indeed. So, um, and I, I know at the end of was it Genesis 19, at least God remembered Abraham and, and rescued Lot. So it sort of, it, I suppose it fits into what you said in that you know, God uses covenant heads, so the, the blessing to Abraham or Abraham's rather patchy so far trust in, in, in God is then filters down to his family and, and, and to the Lord. I mean, is, is, that, is that all of it? It's just that um, uh, just reading it again, you know, it, it says um, if you condemn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who is distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Um, so that it seems like, from what we've read, we, I mean, in Genesis, we don't get that, do we, really? 
we've yeah. seen lots of it extremely but it, unwise. But unwise but so, yeah, in what sense is Lot, is, is Lot righteous? In what sense is Abraham righteous? Well, I mean, yeah. He does some crazy stuff, yeah, yeah. Abraham. But Genesis 15, verse 6, he believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. Yeah. And, that, and actually the New Testament picks up on that and defines righteousness. says, Abraham, is, if you want to know what righteousness is, that, that, that's the definition. That's how you get righteous. That's how you become righteous with God. It's not a process, it is a declaration on the basis not of um, right living, but of your faith in God. And that is, that is literally what justification by faith alone means. That you justified means declared righteous. And you are declared righteous when you put your faith in Jesus, not when you live in an appropriate way. And so, it, yeah... It, you kind of think, well, what's the difference between Lot and some other guy in Sodom? You know, well, Lot, in some sense, was tied to the promises. There was some, and I, 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 I haven't looked into this enough, but I wonder if the tormenting that goes on in his soul in verse eight is a result of this sort of one foot in both camps. And I think I talked about this a bit last week, but actually, that 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 rings true for. You know, for our own experience, when when we know ourselves to be, yeah, I'm, a, you know, saying I'm a Christian and I'm trusting in Jesus, but I really want to do, you know, I really want to live like this. Actually, it's a pretty miserable experience, and it is tormenting. Um, to, and he was in a very unwise situation, and it wasn't surprising that he found life incredibly tormenting in 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 Sodom, and perhaps he wouldn't have done if he wasn't part of the family of Abraham. You know, he'd have been he'd have been like the rabble outside the door, banging on the door, and just quite comfortable with that. It's quite it's just, just what we do in Sodom. It's just how we live. But no, no Lot knew it was he knew it was wrong, but he yeah, he still sort of hadn't quite acted out what needed to be done on the basis of what he knew. Therefore, he was tormented, but he was righteous because he'd been declared righteous because he was in the covenant family on the basis of Abraham and the promises to Abraham. Does that, that help? Yeah, yeah, really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. But then how, how does that all fit together with the fact that so essentially God told us that if any of you would be one righteous person in, well, less than ten, in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, how, how there presumably were children there, there were presumably people who hadn't yet made up their own yeah. minds about what they followed or what they believed. And how does that fit with people we know now yeah. who saw a funeral on, on Sunday as someone who would, by all intents and purposes, had led a life that he had dedicated to serving all people. He had a very strong faith in his own religion. And just, you know, as we heard more about his story, he'd been brought up in that religion, he'd been, you know, and I, I just kind of struggle to think, I get that God is gracious and he gives us life yes. and we don't deserve it. But then why do we do it to other people as well? So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is kind of what we've been seeing this evening. Why does God choose some and not others, you might say? Yeah, why does he why does he choose obvious sinners and then nice person down the road who's lived a perfectly upright life doesn't seem to be become a Christian doesn't seem to be or or nice person down the road is in fact a really nice Muslim you know living a a, a life serving the community and um, and 
what's going on? And the, the, the only, and this is, this is, and this is what we've seen this evening. The only answer could be, it's grace, and no one deserves it. Yeah. So Romans nine is, begins to address this, um, and uh, you know we're, we're we're delving into deep things. But in chapter nine, verse nineteen: one of you will still say, one of you will say to me, "Then why does God still blame us? For who resists His will? But who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to Him who formed it, Why did you make me like this?" Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, (coughs) bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? There's something there about how for the full character of God to be revealed, in other words, for us to know God fully, as fully as we can know him, we need to know his just justice and his mercy. So if he literally saves everybody, um, his justice is not revealed. So there's a whole aspect of his character that is not shown, and his, that his justice being revealed is designed to provoke us to respond, to say, well, actually, goodness me, if I don't repent, I, I, I will receive the same, so I need to trust in Jesus. And that, that, that's the, it's there as a motivation to encourage us to, to trust in Jesus so we don't receive, receive what we deserve too. And, and, and that then, by extension, is what, what other people need to hear as well. Yeah, I guess that just feels uncomfortable with people who may not have heard or may have yeah. So then, uh, the, the verse that's really helpful in Genesis is Genesis eighteen twenty five. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And I think that's I think that's where you end up is saying, okay, but the whole basis on which you are appeal, you are making that appeal that you've just made. What are you appealing to? You're appealing to a sense of what is right and fair. That's what you're saying, you, because you believe that things ought to be fair. Well, where did you get that idea from? You got that from the God of the universe, who is right and fair. And he defines what is right and fair. So, again, it's about, it's, again, it's, it's what we heard tonight, but it's saying uh, there comes a point where we just have to throw ourselves on the floor and go, ah, oh, I don't get this, but you're God and I'm not. And it's fine to ask, the, isn't it? it's, not, it's not that we can't ask the questions or it's wrong to ask the questions. What we see in Genesis 18 is that Abraham asks the questions. And he goes to God and, it, and he appeals to God. And he says, God, what are you doing? So, so we can do it with our friends who don't appear to be trusting Jesus or whatever, or someone who's close to death or someone who's died. Oh, well, at least we praise the Lord that he will do what is right. And who knows what your friends, what happens to your friend before they die? It's just, that, it's just not something we know. And so I, as a vicar, when I, I've taken like 100 funerals in, in the last 10 years many of whom I have no confidence whatsoever, humanly speaking, that they put their trust in Jesus. But you just, you just don't go there, because you can't go there, and it's completely wrong for you to go there, because God is the judge and we are 
not. He will do what is right. So just rejoice in that and meanwhile preach the gospel to anyone who's listening that you need to put your trust in Jesus. So, yeah, another question. Uh, is God, so to pick up on the question on the sheet, is God anti-gay or is God homophobic? So, yeah, is God anti-gay? Well, that's the title of the book. That was the title of the book, which unfortunately sold out this morning. Um, but um, you have some copies. No, we sold, yeah, we had we had fifteen copies and they sold out. Yeah. Um, so, it, but it's on the uh, if you click on if you click on the St John's bookstool on the front page of our website, it is available on there on on ten of those. So, get your copy there. So, I, would, I mean, one answer to that question is read that book because it's written by somebody. Who, is themse- who themselves, he would define himself as experiencing same-sex attraction. So this is a thing that is real for him, so it's not just a theoretical thing. Um, and he is saying, I believe that God has called me to a life of celibacy, and I believe that that, that is good. It's not like I'm you know, somehow missing out. It is... Um, it, it is a good thing. So, so, so as in, it's not a bad thing. It's it's a different thing from from others, but it's um, but that is what a life of faithfulness looks like. Um, and so, I mean, as I began to touch on last week, I think I think I think we just got to be clear as Christians in our world, where more and more this is the issue that everyone wants to talk about. We just got to be clear that this is—it's not as if this is the one issue that matters, or you know, this is the one sin that everybody. You know, that if you struggle with that, then well, goodness me, you know, you, you're lost. But you know, and the rest of us, well, that's all right. Then, you know, we're, if, we, if, we don't, if you don't experience that, then well, good, you're okay. You know, we can't—we can't do that. That's a real Pharisee kind of approach to the Christian life. Um, for a start, the, the the whole thing about God's what God calls us to in regard to sex and relationships goes far. It's challenging for everybody in different ways because it's it's challenging to a married person because they have challenged to they're called to faithfulness and to their commitment to to a person that they married and then you know as life goes on you have to you're called to remain faithful not just to say oh well um, we you know I, can't, I don't want to go on with this anymore I'm going to marry someone else no. Your call to faithfulness, that is a challenge. That is a take up your cross or follow Jesus kind of challenge. It's a challenge to a single person who isn't same-sex attracted, but for whatever reason is not married. And, or it may be a challenge to them. It may be something that they struggle with. And it's a challenge to the couple who want to cohabit before they get married. You know, it, it, It's a challenge to everybody, and we've got to keep on saying that because the, the Christian life is one of denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. And if we end up saying what, well, yeah, what, one, one thing, and so, these guys the Living Out guys who, who include Sam Albury who wrote that book but the Living Out website is really good on this um, they're just so helpful in saying actually there's a, there's a danger that Christians are simply idolising marriage. And all that we've done in, our, in the way that we speak to the world about sex and relationships is to say no, you can't have sex outside marriage but as long as you get married everything's great and that's, you know, you need to have that really and then you've got everything you want and so, so 
And actually, that, that is nonsense from the way the Bible talks about the whole you know, human flourishing, human fulfilment. Um, that is just making an idol, taking a good thing. An idol is always a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. But making it do something it was never designed to do, to give you ultimate fulfilment. So what, what that ends up doing is you get, you get people who get married and then think, oh, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. And, and so that, that's, they get disillusioned. You get other people who aren't able to get married and then are massively frustrated and disappointed. Um, and, you, and it all stems from a common factor, which is that we're just doing what the world does, which says it's all about sex. And then going, yeah, it's all about sex as long as you're married. So, you know, and, and doing all that. It's just, it's just dressing up the world's values in a Christian veneer. And actually, the, what we need to do is, as a church um, and as a family of God, be much better than we are, and I'm sure much better than we are really at St John's. If we, you know, if we look at ourselves honestly and think about it, we could do a lot more to to, to say, you know, we we are a family of people who where, where everybody's valued, where we we where single people can genuinely find intimacy in, in friendships with both other single and married people and, and all that kind of thing, of, of the right kind of intimacy, rather than simply, well, if you're married, great, and if you're not, oh, sorry. Now, I think, you know, we've got, there's lots we can do on that, but that's the sort of thing that's going on. And there's, and there's another book which is great on that, which is written by Abby Nadu's dad, Glyn Harrison, um, which is uh, A Better Story which again is saying that, um, that there's a better story that Christians need to be telling rather than the negative one that just says um, homosexuality is wrong. So there's a positive story to tell about this. And there's another book as well, Ed Shaw, The Plausibility Problem, which is challenging churches to make a life of celibacy plausible as an, as an option to Christians as we speak about it. I hope that's helpful. Anything, any other questions? Yes? Why is it that when you, when you read the Old Testament that there's such a contrast in the way that the individuals we read about have a relationship with God compared to the experience, I think, of, of almost all Christians that I know of today, of all the church backgrounds that I've been, charismatic, conservative, reformed, Baptist, whatever, you know, for example, you know, it talks about you know um, Abraham, I think Abraham being a friend of God, walking with God, hearing His voice, speaking to Abimelech, responding. You know, the depiction of the relationship with God is is so intimate and real. Mm. Yet it seems like in our context or in our modern experience that that's just not a given. And mm-hmm. if it is a given then it tends to occur in church groups that we would have many, at least personally, I would have a lot of contention with over the way that they do church, charismatic groups, for example, that, 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 that almost go to what appears to be an extreme of claiming this intimacy with God that, 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 that they, sh- they say they have, you know, going to coffee shops and you know, having a coffee with Jesus and all that kind of stuff. But it's the depiction of, 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 of the Old Testament. So I... I question yeah. in my mind why does that contrast seem to exist whether that contrast yeah. is, a, is a fair one or not yeah. 
Um, and why is it, you know, so you know, we have this, I don't know, experience of God which seems to be absent of that yeah. intimacy, which yeah. is depicted as a sort of normal, yeah. normal, no, you know, well, normal in the Well, except if we're, I think if there's a danger there that, again, we're reading the Bible wrong. So we're thinking, well, because Abraham had that experience, I ought to too. And actually, that, that's, that's cutting out the sense of Abraham as specific, unusual individual who God has called to be the father of a people. And in him, all the nations will be blessed. In him, we are blessed. And, and ultimately, in Christ, we are blessed. So it's reading the Bible wrong to say any example of an intimate relationship in the, Old, in the Old Testament or wherever ought to be true of me individually. Yeah, I use Abraham but, because that's... Yeah. But you know, but, 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 yeah, no, but the people, you know, you might do that. Yeah, there are lots of individuals, but again, they're, they're normally specific individuals for a specific purpose at a specific point in history, mm-hmm. rather than this is the general experience. Mm-hmm. And actually, the way the, the way the Bible puts the intimacy thing, it really ought to be true, and it is true that we have it much better than the Old Testament guys did. So if we think they had it better than us, we, we're missing something. So even angels long to look into these things. One Peter one. Um, you know, that concerning these things, the prophets who searched eagerly to you know, find out what the spirit of Christ in them was pointing to. They just, they were like, we haven't got it yet. It hasn't come. Whatever this is, we haven't got it yet. And even the angels are looking on going, God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Ah, oh, finally, it's happened in Jesus. And God is dwelling with us in human form. So in the Old Testament, they only had the temple. They had to go up to Jerusalem and they had to go and access the the, the, t- the temple and only the high priest could go in and sins had to be repeatedly done away with what does the Christian have? we have access to God through Christ you think well I've never met Jesus at least the, the, at least the disciples met him well no what does it say at the end of John's gospel um, Jesus did many other things which are not written um, in this book but y- these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing in him, you may have life in his name. So why has John written his gospel? So that you may have the same kind of experience as Thomas had of Jesus. You think, well, that's nonsense. Well, no, that's what, that's what we're promised. So we're, we're promised that we can know God through Jesus. Now, what does, what does that mean? Well, it means relating to him, it means hearing from him in the Bible and praying, and, and it means doing it together, because we do this in Christ. So again, it comes back to the kind of covenant head dripping down to all the people underneath. Therefore, our experience of God, I think, again, we, if we read the Bible individualistically, which in our culture we will tend to do, because we're an individualistic Western culture, we we'll tend to sort of think, it all boils down to me and my relationship with God. Actually, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says it boils down to me and relationship with God and other people and, and knowing God together. That's where intimacy with God is to be found. But it's found in hearing from him in, in his word and, and in praying to him. And, you know, yes, is that intimacy, is that as good as what they had in the Old Testament? Well, you know, you tell me. I mean, I, I don't know. Is it... If someone comes to me and says, oh, I feel far from God, I don't feel intimate with him, well, I think I want to say, well, uh, it, that might be because you're expecting something that isn't realistic, or you're, you're looking at other Christians around you who claim to have some super spiritual experience, 
And Colossians warns us against kind of thinking you've got to have more than Jesus. So Jesus is enough. So don't look for some spiritual experience beyond Jesus. But if you've got Jesus and you, and you kind of understand the gospel, but you're still saying, but it's just cold and I just feel nothing. And I say, well, yeah, maybe that doesn't sound quite right because if we are human, you know, we are embodied human beings, we ought to be, our, our feelings and emotions ought to be engaged on some level with this, um, with this life that we have in Christ. And... It, 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 but it begins with praying and listening to him in his word. It's not more complicated than that. It is that. And what many, many Christians find is that they find intimacy with God through doing that. And it's, it's sort of taste and see. Have a go. Do it. Don't wait for it to happen to you. Um, but you will find, you know, you will have a relationship with, you'll find a relationship with God. But it, it's never sort of me, you know, me in a coffee shop with Jesus. Well, I don't know, you know, that's a bit, a bit of an odd thing, I don't know. But the, me in relationship with other Christians, coming to church week by week, reading the Bible and praying, seeking to live out my faith in the world, I should expect to, for that to, to feel a sense of intimacy. Not that I'm being told what to do each day by God. I'm, to, I'm being told what to do by him in his word you know, but, and to live for him as we were talking about on the first question. Does that, does that make sense at all? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it will come back at me if you want to. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, it's not. It's not something I hold against you for not being able to answer in, in one. <laughs> 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 is, it, is it helpful actually to, to uh, recall why you've come to Christ? I mean, I, I find this helpful. And when you look at uh, what God did to to Sodom and Gomorrah this consuming fire, this holy God who cannot find sin, who will judge sin. Um, and, you know, I came to Christ because my, basically my sin was crippling me. And, you know, once I, I made my confession, I was delivered of that crip, almost physically crippling oppression. And I, and, I, and I keep going back to that. So when my heart gets cold and I think I'm in a spiritual desert or it doesn't seem real or whatever, I just go back to that and I go back. And it's, it's helpful to just to see that God is so righteous that he can't have anything to do with sin. Um, and, and that just points you back to Jesus and it, and it, and it just totally softens your heart. Um, and you change your attitude to people around you, I think, gives you great sort of, sort of compassion. But I think that the trouble is with the copy of Jesus kind of Christianity. And I, I've had a lot of um, interactions with such Christians. They, they always think, oh, God told me this, and I went to that, and then this, and there's all this. But there doesn't seem, or the people I've met, any recognition of, you know, this is the Lord Jesus who delivered me from, from the fire. From consuming fire, you know. The, 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 so it's it's just getting that sort of relationship, I think, and, and you know, and not forgetting that you know our promise is that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I think the problem is that a lot of people have misrepresented the Holy Spirit uh, as you know, with, with all sorts of strange manifestations, and I don't know, with probably the young member Toronto alleged blessing and all that kind of thing. You know, and you sort of think, oh, there has to be some sort of you know service done. 
But actually, it's not that. The Holy Spirit is always illuminating Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always bringing back the Bible. He's always bringing back the fellowship with the brothers and sisters. Um, and I think we can grieve the Holy Spirit and try and exclude him from our life. But he's actually, he's always there. And, and, and the great comfort is that, you know, Jesus has taken hold of us and he, he's not going to let us go. It's not like we're walking on this pathway every day. He's, he, he doesn't. So I think, I don't know if that's helpful, um, but, he, you know, to me that's so much better than having a sort of one-off God sort of commissioning me to do this or something in my life. He spoke to Gideon or, or, or to Abraham. I mean, I, I, I just having that constancy of knowing that his Holy Spirit is in me and, and in my brothers and sisters is, is, is a is a lovely intimate thing actually. Yeah. Doesn't mean life isn't hard, doesn't mean life isn't full of challenges. Um, but it is that constant, that's what keeps you going, that's that seal, that guarantee of Yeah, I mean the, the the thing for me is with whether someone's experience of Christian life is sort of genuine is whether it lasts through suffering. Because mm. You know, the suffering is going to come, and so so if if our if our sort of Christian life is always oh it's brilliant and it's you know victory over everything and uh, no problems at all, well let's see how you're doing in five years time, um, and it, it, suffering refines us and it tends to sort of tone down that stuff because you start to realise well okay yeah great 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 that you were feeling intimate with God and everything was brilliant. Uh, praise the Lord, but that isn't kind of normal, really. That that's sort of unusual. If you see it as unusual, then great, enjoy it while it's there. And um, but will you keep going through the tough stuff? Is really the challenge of the Christian life. Brilliant. Other, other questions? No other questions. Speak now. Good. Well, I hope that's been useful. Um, and keep bringing the questions to the small groups and everyone else. Ask me questions if you want to. It's absolutely fine. And let's let me pray as we finish. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we've had to talk again about. Genesis, these questions that have been raised, thank you that um, they are really helpful for helping us to see what this book is, what Genesis is, what's going on in the life of Abraham and what it means for us today as Christians. Help us to um, go from here living for Jesus and sharing his good news. Help us to um, do that even when life is tough, even when things are not as we expect, even when we're struggling to understand what you're doing in your world. May we know your love and faithfulness and care and the intimacy of knowing you um, through your word as we respond in prayer and as we live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tom. Thank you.